some of you already have the gift of tongues or had a really good Latin teacher in school. For the rest of us, listen to the words that we just heard chanted before the Holy Gospel. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And from your celestial home, shed a ray of light divine. Come, Father of the poor. Come, source of all our store. Come within our bosoms shine. You of comforters the best, you the soul's most welcome guest. Sweet refreshment here below. In our labor rest most sweet, grateful coolness in the heat. Solace in the midst of woe. O most blessed light divine, shine within these hearts of yours and our inmost being fill. Where you are not, we have not. Nothing good in deed or thought, nothing free from taint of ill. Heal our wounds, our strength renew. On our dryness pour your dew, wash the stains of guilt away. Bend the stubborn heart and will, melt the frozen, warm the chill, guide the steps that go astray. On the faithful who adore and confess you evermore, in your sevenfold gift descend. Give them virtue's sure reward. Give them your salvation, Lord. Give them joys that never end. Amen. Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church puts these words and many other words in our lips because we need to seek the Holy Spirit. We need to actively open our hearts to God's grace. Having spent so many days reflecting on our Lord's passion and death through Lent and already knowing well that there were so many people who heard him and were not moved who met him and had no faith and were not healed. We know that the presence of God does not immediately overwhelm people and take over their lives. They need to be seeking him. They need to desire him. And in a similar way, even those who already do belong to God need to continue to seek him. Those who are believers need to know about the Holy Spirit and ask for Him. In Acts of the Apostles, there are two occasions that we hear what what seems what should be impossible. Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. In chapter 9, also of Acts of the Apostles, or chapter 8 rather, the apostles were Jerusalem and heard that Samaria had received the word of God, so they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For it had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. How is this possible? Our Lord's passion, death, and resurrection, Pentecost, is only a few months, perhaps at the most, a few years in the past. 
How is it possible that there are believers? How is it possible that there are baptized Christians who have not received the Holy Spirit, who don't know about Him even? It's a reminder to us, not that the church has been corrupt and derelict since the very beginning. No, it's, it's a reminder to us that being a Christian means actively always seeking out God. It's never enough just to be satisfied in, in the grace that I've received already, in the gifts that God's already given me to this point. We must always actively seek to receive the grace of God, to search him out, to learn more, to receive him more perfectly, to love him with more of our heart. Somewhat like the geography of our church, it's easy to come in and know that the Catholic church is about Jesus. The crucifix is front and center, as it always ought to be in a Catholic church. Visible and and central to our worship is the presence of God in the Holy Tabernacle, marked by a veil and marked by a sanctuary lamp. When the Christians who are here show their faith by sacred gestures and reverence, even visitors will know that there is something sacred here in our presence. But how many people look up and realize the presence of the Holy Spirit? It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see little ones who aren't receiving Holy Communion, but they come up with their mom or dad or older brother or older sister, and they get closer to the altar rail, and all of a sudden you see their eyes slip up, and they're shocked. And they, you know, when they walk away, they're still looking up at the ceiling. We shouldn't be satisfied with simply what we already know, with what we see immediately. Perhaps it's especially important for us who do profess the Catholic faith in its fullness, who do profess the creed without any mental reservation, who as cradle Catholics or as converts can say today just as much as we did when we renew our baptismal vows or when converts came and became Catholic at the Easter Vigil, I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church proclaims and teaches to be revealed by the Word of God. When we can say that genuinely, we still need to be reminded that it is not enough just to know the truth. Because it's tantamount to saying, you know, Jesus once said, and I agree. That's not faith. That's knowledge. The devil knows all of this to be true. It's not enough just to recognize the truth. We have to love God. We have to want to be the temple of his indwelling. We have to search him out with all our heart. In the same way that there were Christians who received the sacrament and didn't know that there was more, there are Christians who receive sacraments and don't even know all that they entail. It's as though those sacramental graces remain dormant in the soul until they're, until they're unlocked. How many Catholics receive the sacrament of confirmation 
and have only been told, this is now the moment that you're an adult in the church. If that phrase encapsulates a whole life of learning, it might make sense. If that phrase is only a catchphrase, then it's totally superficial. And yet it's better than Catholics who are told, when you receive the sacrament of confirmation, it means you no longer have to go to CCD. That's worse. How many Catholics have received the sacrament of confirmation and really know that it's their Pentecost? When they realize it, their lives will change and that sacramental grace will be unlocked, no longer ignored. We who have been confirmed have received the grace of the Holy Spirit, not just to add a little more grace, as though you get a little, you know, another ladle of Holy Spirit on top of what you already have. We just heard in the second reading today, to each individual, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for some benefit, is given for a purpose. And in the analogy of the body of Christ, which is the context for this segment of St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, it's very clear. When you receive something, when you receive the Holy Spirit for a purpose, it's not just for your benefit. It's for the benefit of the whole body of Christ. It's for the benefit of others. We need to remember how the Holy Spirit was already preceded. What was already awaiting the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? These apostles were already believers. These apostles had already been reconciled to Christ. These apostles had already received our Lord's body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. Moreover, they were not afraid, locked away in the upper room. That's a mistake that sometimes happens when one of the optional Gospels is read which comes from Easter Sunday. After the resurrection, the apostles were afraid and were locked away. But if you read through the Gospels following Ascension until Pentecost, you realize that as soon as our Lord went up into heaven, the apostles returned to Jerusalem joyful, praising God in the temple. So prior to Pentecost, the apostles were believers, reconciled to Jesus, in communion with Jesus, praying in public, joyfully and courageously, and praying in private as a real community. All of that was happening before Pentecost, which should help us figure out what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit in Confirmation? Now, granted, as, as fathers, be spiritual fathers and mothers, if our children grow up and we know that they are believers and they are reconciled to Jesus and they are in communion with Jesus and they pray publicly with the church and they pray privately, well, we're pretty happy with that, but we shouldn't be. Because one important thing is missing. What happened at Pentecost? What happens at Confirmation? The gift of the Holy Spirit to turn this believer 
who is headed to heaven because he or she is in the state of grace into an apostle who helps other people get to heaven, who helps other people receive grace, who saves other people from damnation. That's a Christian. A Christian fully alive with the Holy Spirit is not just content to have my little relationship with Jesus. I will not be happy until everyone I love is on the road to heaven. Which means we'll go back and have Lent again because we're going to be suffering because not everyone we love is on the road to heaven. But we'll still be rejoicing because the Holy Spirit is powerful, more powerful than anyone and everything. The church knows that we need to celebrate Pentecost every year because every year there's a few more Christians who realize what it's all about, who understand that this is the birth of the church. This is when all the preparation was over and the continuation of the work of Christ began. And she puts words on our lips like that sequence after the second reading. She also wants to put on our lips the words of the Veni Creator Spiritus. In fact, the church gives us, offers us, I should say, the opportunity for a plenary indulgence by praying the Veni Creator, not only on the first day of the year, but also on the solemnity of Pentecost. I've printed out and cut a few copies of it, both in translation and in chant, and they're in the lobby of the church if you want to get it. Aftermath. Or, and or, follow along with me as I read it slowly enough. It's number 809 in the hymnal if you want to read it with me. But if the words are too small, you can just listen and repeat the words in your heart. Creator Spirit, come visit the souls that are yours. Fill with heavenly grace the hearts that you created. You are called by the names of Paraclete, gift of God most high, spring of life, fire, love, and the soul's anointing. Seven gifts are yours to give. You are the finger of the Father's right hand. You, the clear promise of the Father. Give men's tongues the grace of speech. Kindle a light in our minds. Pour love into our hearts and uphold with your unfailing strength the frailty of our human nature. Drive our enemy far from us and give us always the gift of peace. So may it be that with your grace ever guiding us, In this way, we may avoid all that is sinful. Grant that through you, we may know the Father and the Son. And may we ever believe you to be the spirit of both the Father and the Son. To God the Father be glory. To the Son who rose from the dead. And to the paraclete for all ages. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.